I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. It's been written of Olga that she is a devotee of Jung, and it's been written of myself that I'm a devotee of Freud. So we know Freud and Jung, they started off good, but then they had a big fight and they never spoke to each other again. But I, I'm hoping we can do better than that. And this is what uh, Olga has to say about writing in flights. Anyone who has ever tried to write a novel knows what an arduous task it is, undoubtedly the worst way of occupying oneself. It's a controlled psychosis. That really made me laugh. And Do you agree with me? Well, I was going to ask you what you mean. Um, controlled psychosis. It means for me that we are overwhelmed by ideas, figures, voices, which are growing in our head, in our minds, and we have to manage with, with, uh, with the, those uh, energies of voices. And then from the other side, you ha we have to also believe in a uh, regular, normal life. So there is a very big er and very deep split between those two realities. <laughs> and sometimes I, I have to like, um, shake myself to come back. I'm really, when I'm writing, really, I can spend 12 hours sitting um, at the computer. So sometimes I'm, I'm losing my, my feeling of reality. But anyway, in the end, till this day, I always coming back. So. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, but everything that's written about us isn't necessarily true. Uh, are you a devotee of Jung, and, and, and how do you put myth to work um, in, your, in your novels? Because the interesting thing that you do is to fa find new myths. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just wondered about mm -hmm. your relationship mm -hmm. to myth. Mm -hmm. Well, when I'm um, um, from the very beginning, when I was a child, so in the age of ten, I think that uh, it was important time when you really um, this is the entrance to the literature. So my first step was uh, to to go into literature through myths, from mythology. There is a very big title in Polish uh, literature, uh, wrote by Parandowski. He collected all myths, um, um, in, and uh, the, the myth, those myths are re rewriting in a very nice, simple way. So for children, are those those lectures very very good, very simple. And then I had a time that I felt really overwhelmed. I was uh, grew up in not in not religious uh, family. Mm -hmm. So now, from my own now perspective, I think that mythology was also something treated as a religious, uh, very important. I, I could see word as a as a collection of um, heavenly energies. 
in a way. So I treat at the time treat religions uh, mythology very seriously. In, in fact, I remember myself praying to the gods of, of winds, for instance, uh, in the garden of my grandfather. So I was pagan a little bit as a child. <laughs> and then when I start to, started to study psychology, that was communistic time in Poland. So I expected that I will study Freud and Jung and so on, but it wasn't possible at the time to study mm -hmm. such a psychology. We had um, this uh, very strange uh, Russians uh, psychology, which now everybody forgot about it. <laughs> and we spent our time with um, uh, training uh, rats in the labyrinths and so on. So I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> But then, um, on, uh, during my study, I opened up like uh, my private studying. And then I discovered uh, Sigmund Freud. And what was most interesting for me in his writing, uh, the possibility to, to perceiving reality as a something which is open for endless uh, number of uh, interpretations. Mm -hmm. So that was, th this fact opened my mind for, for writing, for, for thinking about the world. That this is now from um, nowadays point of view, it is very postmodern, I would say. But I found it out as a young girl in Sigmund Freud's books. And then, because Freud was too scientific, I think, for me, I was kind of poetic mind, then I find out, uh, found out uh, um, Gustav Carl Jung, and then I, you know, uh, drowned, drowned, utonęłam? Drowned. Drowned in Jung. <laughs> that was a very good beginning for writing. I think that we, you agree with me. And now um, um, the, it would be my advice for, for students creative writing, just to please read Jung just for a short time to also to be aware that the, the container with mythology is a kind of vocabulary of many things which are happens now and uh, in the completely with completely different faces and in different shapes but we still are um, swimming and the same same swimming yeah. pool mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so also mm. for somebody who doesn't have any uh, enough good inspirations. You can always put your hand into this swimming pool and take off something. Oh, like you mentioned Medusa myth. This is one of the strongest, beautiful stories, in fact. So, so moving. Mm. Yeah, so I, um, now I'm a little bit far from, from Jung, uh, but I'm really thankful, uh, grateful uh, to him for, to, to meet him on, on my way. Absolutely. So to follow on from that, um, here's a strange question. Uh, it's clear to me what your psychology training, which is, which is I know you've had to talk about forever, um, it's, it's clear to me what it's given your work. And uh, what's, so, what's so incredible about Olga's novels is that it doesn't tread its heavy boots through the work ever. It's completely embodied in, 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 in all of the work. But my question to you is, do you think that your psychology training 
took something, anything away from your writing. Mm. Took away from my writing. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Everybody asked me if, what about influences? I know. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. It's a hard question. I, I, uh -huh. I tell you, I tell you what I'm thinking uh -huh. about. Sometimes I think that um, <clears throat> when I started to read psychoanalytic literature, I didn't have to pass any exams. It was just for it was just for pleasure. I was in the play, I, you know, when I had children. I was in the playground for 12 years, and I just got interested in the way these adults and children uh, behaved. And so I started to read Freud. Mm -hmm. And when I think, if I was to answer the question, I wonder uh, if it's made me a little bit too uh, compassionate, too kind in my writing. Mm -hmm. Maybe I would be fiercer, mm -hmm. angrier, more ignorant. That's not always such a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So that's where my question comes from. You know, I think it's it, it maybe it gives so much, and maybe it mm -hmm. takes something away too. I don't know. I have to think what it's uh, psychology takes away from my sensitivity or ability of writing. Mm. But I that um, I was very interested in literature from the beginning. And then the, my first idea was to go to study literature. But my mother is a uh, Polonist, so uh, she's working as a teacher, not now, but... And I was in, in conflict at the time with her. So I didn't repeat her way, you know, in a way. Yeah. So I decided to, 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 to go and to do completely something else. And then... Um, uh, the first lesson uh, during studying psychology was uh, that we can perceive reality for, from many points of view. I remember myself that uh, once in the studying uh, like a therapeutic house when we, uh, when we were trained to be therapists, um, one of my first clients who was also the student, we tried, you know, we, we, uh, we learn ourselves on our you know, as a, as a couples, as a, as a, oh, you know what I mean, so we na sobie. So you trained each other. Yeah, we trained each, each yeah. other. And um, then um, he told me the story of his family. And uh, he told also, that was his brother at the same group. And the version of the, the how the family works it was completely different. So one guy, one brother, used to uh, describe this, the the situation of the family that the father was. Yeah, completely different stories, you know. And then I couldn't understand what what how it is possible. And then I think that that that, that was very good idea to study psychology to to just to. Um, uh, to just to uh, discover that reality is something endless, you know, this is a, like a building with uh, endless amount of rooms, which in fact, um, it, there is such an expression in Talmud, the world is the building with endless amount of, of uh, <laughs> yeah. so, um, and, and the, the second uh, thing when, which I owe to psychology, it was, uh, we had a tr we were trained to listen people and to pay attention on body language and to treat everybody every single client as a as a as an entire narrative uh, from the, the beginning to the end 
So for me, when I started to write my first debut book, I, I, was, um, uh, I was sure that every human being is the book. And you can, that, so there are four millions of books on, on, the, on, on the planet Earth. And then you can choose the history, narratives, history of uh, anybody and write a be beautiful, moving novel. Yeah. So that was very, <clears throat> very nice and um, literary lessons I took from psychology. But that, after all, it was a very bad negative lessons when I started to work as a therapist. And uh, once I realized, talking with my client, quite uh, very deep, deep uh, discussions with him, deep uh, process, I realized then that I'm much more neurotic and much more <laughs> disturbed than my client. And that was the moment I realized to quit. <laughs> and I think it's good to be neurotic as a writer. Yeah. You know, yeah, I of mean, course. What's the point of being calm? Do you know any psychopaths writing the books? <laughs> no. So, so that flight into realities and out of realities is, is, is something that you explore in all your work. And in a, in a really great short story I read of yours published in Bomb magazine. And uh, what's the title? It, it's God is Making the World. Ah, uh, about drugs. Yes. Yeah. God is making the world, and he's having an argument. His, his neighbor says, oh, I think it's a little too gaudy and shabby, this world that you've made. Um, so you're hearing all of this in translation, I, I, I know. Um, but it's, it's published in English, and it's out there on the internet to, to find. And, um, and God says, uh, no, people don't like too much reality. Very good line. We don't really, do we? And, and, um, and that seems to be something that you really put to work in, uh, in, in so many ways, political ways, historical, emotional um, flights to, to reality and, and out of it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so before we get on to, to flights, which is what we're here to celebrate, I wanted to ask you um, about, I want to, Marguerite Durand, French writer, said that no one can claim to be an intellectual if they have never read any books by women or if they've read just very few books by women because they don't have enough data. They just don't have enough information. About the world. About the world. So I think you agree, mm -hmm. nodding. Um, but here's a, here's a question to you. Um, I, I know that we would enjoy to have this conversation alone with a glass of wine, but I, I thought I'd air it with uh, an audience, bring an audience in. If um, I was to ask Philip Roth, what do you think a male perspective uh, in your books has contributed to American culture? You'd all think this was a really strange question because this, we, we would have sort of assumed that this is the culture. 
So there was a part of me that decided that I would never ask another female writer that question, that it was more subversive you know, mm -hmm. not to ask that question. Now, do you think that's just a utopian idea or whether I should always ask that question? Utopia? Yeah, do you think, do you think that, you know, that would be progress to, would you want to be asked that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, tell me about that. How, how has that gone down? How has that gone down for you with your readers and in Poland and, and, and around the world? I think that the level we write novels, we think in a uh, think in an artistic way. This is the level of our mind, of our psyche, or whatever it is, of our uh, personality, which has no sex. Mm -hmm. This is something which is very common, and we can share this 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 level of our. Uh, personality with another human beings, I would say. And uh, I, especially, I write, so my, my, how to say, my entire ability to, for writing is taken from this level. But of course, on the higher level or lower level, I don't know how, how what is the structure, hierarchy, but on the level mm, of reality, when I am sitting here and talking with you, uh, of course, I am, I, I am woman. And my word is much more womanish than the word of my husband. So the second thing that I have a very strong feeling of uh, justice. Uh, so I uh, I see this word as an injustice in a very many uh, aspects. Mm -hmm. So my um, uh, my writing with a um, strong uh, Mm. With the strong emphasis on a womanish side of life is uh, taken from feminine, feminine uh, life is taken from this this uh, more social level. Mm -hmm. So I think that every single person is uh, uh, on the kind of level is without no sex. Or I could say that everybody we have uh, the same sex, and then. Uh, but being social, be, be, being living in the, the reality, we are um, divided into sexes, and then we can face to, to this situation. And for instance, with the feeling of justice, I realized to, to um, writing this Jacob's book, which is the, the res recent book of mine, um, I had such a situation that um, the history the, my entire research, would, uh, which were taken from archives and libraries, were um, was um, full of gaps because I we didn't have I didn't have records about women figures in mm -hmm. this in this entire story. Yeah. And what's more, I decided to uh, to create uh, using my imagination much uh, just a stronger figure. Uh, of women, then I uh, would uh, do uh, with uh, male figures in in this in this book. So uh, this is all the, the 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 main my main motivation is the feeling of justice. Why some people can go in into history on the red carpets 
like men, kings, mm-hmm. fighters, you know, um, and so on. And entire people just uh, disappearing, melting somewhere in, 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 in time. And women uh, in a majority, in the big majority, are melting. Um, in, research, in my research, I, I noticed that uh, the women are mentioned only by, by relation to their men. So mm-hmm. like a wife or mistress or, or, I don't know, sister and so on and so on, without names, without their own stories. So in this sense, my writing is, is a feminist writing in this new and this, this, this uh, yeah, contemporary course. understanding. Of course. So it's, a, so it's an interesting question, you know, do we, it would be great, wouldn't it, not to, uh, in some ways, <laughs> I often feel, to be asked that, because, because the pleasure of writing is to make everything as complicated as it is. And, um, and what you do so well is to gather uh, conflicting thoughts, and digressions and catch them mm-hmm. uh, with, with perfect cadence, the cadence of a poet. And the story is going to take as long or as short as, as it needs to. We can wait for these, for, for these intimate digressions. So Olga is writing in the third person and then the first person. And um, in relation to this, I wanted to ask you, you, you um, sorry to keep saying it has been, you, you know, to quote interviews, but this is what I've had to do to, to interview you tonight, having discovered your work. You've said that uh, in Poland, it's critically looked down on to write a plot-driven novel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not everything we say is yeah. that's, that's said about it's us taken isn't really true. true. Yeah, yeah. So I know. So that's why we all need translators all the time. Uh, is that right? Uh, it, 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 it would uh, would be right. It was rather it was rather right in the in the like ten years ago, twenty years ago. But now I have to mention that the the um, perceiving literature in Poland and in Great Britain and in, and in entire Anglo-Saxon English language uh, culture civilization is different. Uh, what we envy you is, to, uh, is this kind of uh, bourgeois middle-class literature from 19th century, <laughs> when the people are meeting, drinking tea, and they are very polite and exchanging, you know, nice uh, mm-hmm. words and beautiful conversation, uh, and so on and so on. But we, we in, in during the history, we didn't have such a time to 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 create such a literature because we didn't. Our time for to creating middle class was so short, and this, that then uh, the middle class was destroyed during the war, yeah. and then you know the history in Central Europe is is nightmare, as you know. So literature is always like a, like a like a, a flower, you know, blossoming mm-hmm. on the ground of history. So our history is different, and our literature is different. So in Poland. Um, because the Polish language is very plastic and not so rational and not so much more poetic, if I would say, because my English, as you see, is not, not ideal. So uh, in Poland, um, uh, literature is much more connected with beauty of language, with uh, poetic of language, with, 
Well, but the telling story from the beginning to the end with all those very classic forms is not uh, mm, something which is important. Very good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that love of the bonnets and the tea is just a mask for brutality <laughs> of going to colonize the world. Uh -huh. Um, everything is about a cup of tea. Right? So, but you, you have, for instance, very beautiful, great tradition of uh, dialogues, mm -hmm. which I always envy you. So, uh, dial I think that this is Shakespeare things, that Shakespeare is so strong in your thinking about the world and describing the world, that you can do such a book like uh, In a Wolf Hall, for instance, which is completely co connected with dialogues. This is impossible in Poland. But perhaps the, di but perhaps the difference is, is, is that in dialogue, no one uh, says what they mean. That, mm -hmm. that, 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 that we never speak directly. That, that yeah, we, of course. We, we, this we is just the use entire art of dialogue. Yeah, mm -hmm. To cover up and to say something else. So you say, would you like three sugars in your tea? Yes, please. And I want to put my head in the gas oven. This would not be dialogue unless, uh, you know. Yeah, so a, this is a, a hard art of dialogues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. We have uh, poetic, poetic uh, style, atmosphere, climate, irony, which is very, mm -hmm. something very important in Polish literature. We have surrealistic, you know, uh, yes. tendencies, yes. and uh, it's also the Polish literature is like a, a staying on the on the border between absurdic, uh, absurd, and and uh, rational mm -hmm. realities. I don't know how to say. So it's not so easy. I know that a new generation of writers in Poland. Mm, they would like to write in this classical, like a global way. Global means English language, literature, okay. Anglo-Saxon. And but uh, and they are. I think that this 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 kind of specific Central European uh, literature will disappear sooner or later when the if the global world will mm, will be in the good shape. So I think in one in the next 100 years everything will be written in 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 uh, British and American way. <laughs> oh, I hope not. I don't think so. Not with you around. Um, no, I think there's plenty of irony and, and parody and uh, and contradiction and humour in uh, so, no, no, so, course, so 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 much literature. Just to come back to flights, because you now are flying back to flights because it was published in Poland in 2008. Yes, even and earlier, I think. Even six. earlier, yeah. So we get used to this, you know, as as, as books get translated. It's a do you, do you have the same when yeah. you have the book translated in ten years later? Yeah, yeah so. it's, a, it's 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 a strange. How how does it feel to to return to it? So I have to spend some hours to just recall what's going on in this book, <laughs> because I really I, I have to prepare myself uh, to talk about the book. Yes. Because in the between in between it was two another books. It was detective story, which what's. Uh, filmed recently, so I also, you know, were, was very present in this promotion of movie, and I was very active. Yes. And then Jacob's book, which uh, took 
like eight years of, of my life. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But flights, I still still think that everybody of us. I mean, if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details writers entire life life look for a form i don't know mm -hmm. if you have the same mm -hmm. that's this ambitious idea to find a form which will be like a beautiful tailored uh, dress it's very sweet to be exactly for me not for another authors but very private form and i think that flights this is the book which is very private in form i invented the form mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end, I called the form constellation novel. I I I was able to to defend this kind of novel. So I think that it, that was a very important point in my 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 thinking about mm -hmm. uh, about writing, because it's a, a formal but intimate mm -hmm. conversation with with the reader. Now, just explain to me, I, I've got a bit confused with all the titles in translation. So, so that it's called Runners, or is that something else? Uh -huh. that's, I think that, that's the same thing. Okay. Antonia, you can say anything. Yeah, in Russia, and Yeg means is the root for run. Yeah, and exactly. some, and I researched this text in English. It's older had it in um, Polish, and um, I found that they were called the runners in historical books in English. So I called it that. But then Jennifer, who has translated the whole book, Jennifer Croft, who wishes she was with us, and she yeah, said that yeah. she's thrilled with this. Um, Jennifer came up with this different idea, and I can see exactly why. It makes a great deal of sense, because the book is about escaping from yourself 
in a way, in directions which take you as far away as possible out into the world, and also escaping inside, as far as you can mm -hmm. go deep inside yourself. So there's extraordinary journeys going on in this book in two odd directions. Outside and inside. And the, uh, having that sense in the title of escape, I think is very clever. So run, runners away from something. <clears throat> Excellent. So, so in Polish, the, the title refers to a Russian sect. Yes. Could you say say a yes. bit about that? Yeah, yeah, with pleasure. <laughs> because I, I was during my writing this book, and I still uh, didn't have a title. And then uh, I found myself in Moscow, in Russia, and I have a very good guide. My guide was a um, philosopher, especially specialist from. Uh, Russian philosophy and also from Russian Orthodox heresy. heresy. Mm -hmm. So he showed me the, the city, the, the Moscow city, as a collection of places connected with religion, with Orthodox Church. And he mentioned first time about such a sect. And they believers, uh, they are convinced that only movement can uh, protect. protect you um, against evil. So everybody who, who stayed, who is uh, mm, stable, immobile, immobile uh, is a, it will be very soon a victim of uh, a devil, a devil, and evil. So we have to move all the time, also in physically. Uh, meaning and psychological mm -hmm. meaning. Mm -hmm. We have to be in move because then the, the devil couldn't catch us as a, as a, as a, as a victims. As a, so, uh, and then, I don't know till now if it, is, it was a joke or just I had a kind of enlightenment in the tube, Moscow tube, because he showed me people uh, traveling in the tube and they had entire life with them, you know, in the, in the plastic bags, the kitchen and the food and clothes and so on. And they were traveled, you know, from one station in the end to another station, just living in the tube. And uh, he told me that this is the, the, the contemporary model of Bieguni, of this sect. And I was really shocked. And then I understand that this is, a, that I, I have a metaphor. Because now all of us in this world, we are Bieguni. We are, we are traveling, moving people, because there is no way to... If you, if you stop, you, you will die, in fact. You have to do every, every, every single day something more, something more. Be in move, be in move. And, you know, uh, yeah. So then, mm, uh, this day I realized that I have a title of the book, Biguni. Of course, this is quite difficult to, to translate the word, because the, this word, the, the word has a context, and it's hard to put this context. Yeah. Mm. And so in the 10 years <laughs> of, uh, the 10 years have sort of caught up with your book because the whole world is in flight. Um, you know, refugees fleeing war, and then attempts to stop flight, to, to, to block the entry yeah, yeah. Of, um, of people on the move. So it kind of goes, um, it's a strange time for your book to land as it, as it, as it 
as it were, um, all these all these years later, you you start quite near the beginning. Um, the narrator is seven years old, and she's looking at at a river, the flow of a river. Do you talk about that? Mm-hmm. She says, "I'll remind you." <laughs> she says, uh, "She's seeing the she's seeing the water flow, and she she has a strange thought. She says it's so much better to for for something to be flowing, to be moving." She has a, a, a philosophical, mm-hmm. existential thought mm-hmm. at seven. Uh, it's so much better for to be to be moving than to be stuck. Stuck. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, this this book is only one uh, book in my career which is partly autobiographical because I now I think that people before six, they sixty shouldn't uh, write their biographies. <laughs> so I still before have some, 60, some time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but. The, this time when you travel, because writing this book, I was really in, all the time in traveling, traveling, yes. moving. Where you? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so there only one stable point was my own uh, personality, my own biography. This is very interesting, my own body. So if, when you travel, you you are like a like a boat in a way, you know that you have to take care of this boat of your body to to just to be move on move. So uh, the big part of this book is just reflection, just um, digressions, digressions mm-hmm. connected with uh, with uh, human body, how mm-hmm. hard it is, how how um, strong. how strong and how can be preserved for for how long time. Uh, yes, yeah. and body parts because you have um, Chopin's heart smuggled out of Paris uh, by his sister under her skirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's part, that's, it is true that his heart was brought back yeah, to Warsaw. Yeah, this is a story Andrzej yeah. Walda told me once. And yeah. I asked him if I can use it in my book and he agreed, so I have copyright. <laughs> um, this is a true story, really. This is a story about uh, when Sh- um, uh, Frédéric Chopin died in France and at the time it was a very hot time in Europe because Poland was uh, under the partition and uh, occupants were in Poland and so on and so on. So uh, the Polish people decided to brought back uh, Chopin's heart uh, to, to Poland. But of course they had to smuggle the heart. The heart I mean in a jug, uh, jar. jar uh, the, the the glass jar that was a piece of meat inside. So how to smuggle this strange, uh, uh, this strange thing back from Paris to 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 Poland? And the women invented the way. They had a crinoline, crinoline, and this is a huge space for smuggling under the crinoline. <laughs> this is a very female smuggling, I think. Mm-hmm. So they, 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 one of them, they put uh, the, the, jar, the jar with the, the heart of uh, Chopin and happily came back to Poland. And in Poland, the heart was burned within a, with, uh, in a very, very official way patri- in, with patriotic um, atmosphere, in patriotic atmosphere. So it's, it's 
sounds completely absurd, but it was true. <laughs> yeah, and then the Minister of Culture said that, that, that Chopin's heart was aching to return. Was aching to return? Uh, it was homesick, uh -huh. aching to return. So you, you have returned it in another way. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we have some questions yeah, from the yeah, audience? Sure. I know that uh, many of you want to have, have questions to ask. Hello, Olga. Um, it's, we met briefly earlier, and I, I'm your British publisher. Um, yes, hello. It's, it's wonderful to meet you. So um, you did this surprise that I came here book. to this bookstore. Yes. And I didn't know that the book will be here. I, I expected the book in May, so... Um. No, it was very important to have it for your visit tonight. Um, something we haven't really talked about is the book is so much about the body and human anatomy. And um, I wondered what, how did you decide to juxtapose travel and, and this writing about, about the body? It's risky, don't you think so? <laughs> well, risky, but, but brilliant, obviously. Um. It was. It, it wasn't uh, just uh, fully con conscious choice. It was rather my experience during traveling. That w what I just uh, said mi a minute ago. That if you are endless movement all the time, because during writing this book, I really in two during two, two years were traveled like hell, trying to I don't know to change my life, to to escape, and I don't know what. So um, naturally, those thoughts about my body, my muscles, my my wnętrzności, uh, intestines, uh, were uh, were coming to my mind, because I think that this is a kind a kind of a psychological process that you uh, perhaps connected in in how in any way with narcissism perhaps if you are if you are just um, swimming in the endless oceans of, uh, of uh, stimulus, stimuli, stimuli, then you have to keep something which is, to, to be aware of something which is, you know, only yours and very stable. And then I, I thought about it, how it is possible that we know what's going on on, on moon, that we know, with, then we have a maps of moon, but me, I, I don't know, I don't have a map of myself from inside. Where is my stomach? When is my, my liver, for instance? How it looks? Uh, how I can communicate with my own body? Uh, what can I do with my body to, 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 to stay for longer? My body is so, so uh, fragile. It is the most fragile thing we, we, we can experience in our lives. So it was naturally... Um, juxtaposed to for, for, for traveling. <coughs> so I didn't even, that was not that I uh, invented, uh, invented uh, this, this, this opposition uh, uh, just to have a very good, uh, you know, uh, space for writing. But it was very natural and I really, to the end, I didn't know it, if it is real, really good solution for, for, for the book. Writing this book is, was it, it was like uh, like what like like mm, doing a very risky sport like bungee or like I don't know what. <laughs> so because? I didn't I didn't know the end. Okay. Fair enough. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, um, well, that's exciting, isn't it? Lockdown yeah. in the end. So Leonardo da Vinci, he, he, he makes an appearance, and of course he was obsessed with flight, um, always strapping on his inventions and uh, going to the top of a hill and, and flying down. Um, and then when Freud wrote his psychobiography of Leonardo da Vinci, he said, oh, who is Leonardo flying to uh -huh. or from? He said, it's his father who abandoned him. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was quite disappointed, actually, at, 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 at that uh, conclusion. Then uh, something that stuck with me in flights is a very small section of it where the narrator goes to the author, the narrator goes to a hotel and the um, the guy at reception he says, "Here's your key. Everybody loses the key to this room." And uh, would you want to talk about mm -hmm. want to talk about that? Yeah. No, do you know me to talk about this special key? Or do yeah, this, special key? losing that key that, that everyone loses. Because when you travel uh, or you, when you are on the move all the time, so our mind, I think, would like to, to keep, to, to catch something to, and keep. And then uh, we had a tendency to perceive reality as a full of meanings. Mm -hmm. This is a kind of like a very slight paranoia that everything is meaning. I don't know if you have something. It, it's always uh, um, take place when you are in love on the beginning, you know, that the word is meaningful. It's, oh, he said something, oh, I don't know, he sent and he texted me something and it means much more that it is written in the text. So this looking for meanings is, uh, I think, is a very important part of our, of our being a human being. So, uh, yeah, to be lost in traveling, to be lost in, in the world, we, we, we are very hungry for such a coincidence. This is also very Jungian. He, uh, he called, he named this, this process, uh, he named this phenomenon. And then, uh, yeah, this uh, case with key is one of them, one of such a looking for, for meaning, for sense. Of course, uh, perceiving from the other side is completely just uh, just uh, an accident. An, an accident, Absolutely. of course. So what happens is that, that this particular key to room nine is always lost and, and, uh, and, and you're told, do not lose this key. And what you do is you don't return Losing. it. You, you sort of manage to go off with, with the key. And somehow, um, it's, it's, the, it's the one part of the book that really haunts me, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that story. I was wondering, I think it's in House of Night, House of Day. Is it in that order? I yeah. think it's House of Day, House of Night, is you have this incredible uh, character called Marek Marek. Mm -hmm. And he, he has, he's born, he's, he's, he's his mother's angel, he has white hair, um, his father beats him. Mm -hmm. Then he starts to beat other kids, and sometimes his father. And, um, and he, be, he drinks, he becomes a drunk. And you, you mentioned that he has a bird inside him. But when Marek Marek drinks, the bird uh, doesn't get drunk. 
Mm -hmm. The bird's always there, alert, waiting, waiting, feeling, mm -hmm. feeling for him. And that the bird's eyes inside Marek Marek are, show terror, are terrified when Marek is terrified. And that the feet of the bird are tied up. And I thought, ah, maybe she's, Olga has untied that bird inside Marek Marek. Mm -hmm. Maybe you were waiting to ride flights in some way. And, um, but then there is a confusion with translations of, of, of the title. But this bird has, it would be nice to think the bird flew out of Marek and became a book called <laughs> Flights. I don't remember, to be honest, I don't remember the end of the story. It's very bad, I think. Ah, okay. A few more questions from the floor. I have two questions. Yes. One question is very, very easy and very simple, which is, um, well, I, I wanted to ask you which is your favorite book of yours. And uh, um, you may, but I don't ask you this question. My question is, which is your favorite character you created? And, um, and the closest to you. And I was thinking, uh, that I will ask it because you were saying that the flights were the book that was inventing something um, poetically for you. But isn't it that actually the house of the day and the house of the night is starting the poetics of kind of little stories uh, put together, divided, and this is actually the beginning and, uh, and the character there um, the female character, the narrator character, is really close, and kind of, isn't it her that coming back, coming is come, is back in flight? So I, that, this is a little bit leading question, but okay. My question is, who is your favorite character you created? <laughs> and uh, and um, uh, and the other question was, uh, I actually thought about it when you were discussing the title, the runners, and. Um, Indeed, it is a sect that believes that there is a, the only in the movement, in the migrating, in, in there is a escape from sin. And that's all right. So we have to move to escape being sinful. And in the flight, you're inventing a character that is in the movement all the time and trying to find and, and looking around the world. But in this, in flight, in the, in, uh, in the book, you are actually implying that only when she is coming back and when she puts the passport to the, uh, to the shelves, only then she creates and she writes. So isn't it writing mm -hmm. sinful? No, I don't agree. Yeah, it is, isn't it like this? Oh, maybe, maybe I misread it. So, so, which question first? Uh, favorite is, character. <laughs> it's okay. a not so easy question. To be honest, every single figure in my book and every single character is me in a way. When I uh, study psychology, there is such a theory uh, which is which uses the term of multiply um, personality. This is also the disorder. Uh, disorder. And, but um, this uh, psychological theory told us that it is not con not um, not should be um, 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 illness 
this, we function like this. We are a collection of personalities in our inner space. And every such a personality has a special, specific uh, potential to, uh, to, to, to be grown and to, uh, to be bigger and to be really social and to take us over. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that those kind of writers like me, they are multiplied psych uh, personalities. So I, I, it seems to me that sometimes I can take from inside such a figure and I like put a life into, into it and it's growing sometimes without uh, not asking me in which direction. And for instance, Marta, or old woman telling the story or be very present in this world, Sometimes it uh, uh, seems to me that the, she is the kind of my, myself as a, as a kind of alter ego or I don't know, even like an inner twin. Sorry that I'm so, so um, uh, introverted now and uh, like, a, like a clinical or I don't know. But uh, so I'm using from myself all those possibilities uh, of uh, and building up my figures on 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 myself. But of course, not 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 uh, not to the end. Not everybody, because finally I, I can on also based on uh, on observing another people. Sometimes I'm very carefully looking at people I don't know in tube or in in, uh, in social situations and just taking some future features like uh, you know collecting mushrooms you know this 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 and in building a figure oh you like mushrooms with, yeah. with sugar so um, yes there are many recipes for ama amazing recipes I think that maybe writers uh, are superstitious about naming uh, a favorite character because um, you know those characters have to step out through the work into the world and have their own life in your your mind and uh, for writers the, the characters are there to do something to to chase arguments to um, to figure something out with to work to work something mm -hmm. out and I think it is very interesting the, the, the way that, uh, in a sense, we are all our characters, a little like a dream, where we are everything in the dream, so that we are in our male characters, and in our female characters, and in our objects, and in our animals, in everything. Writing is a moving in a very metaphorical sense. Every single day you have a... You, you are in move from... Yeah, writing, you, you are in the move. Yes. So I'm just going to read, um, I think it's a good end actually, because this is, this is about writing. And it's how we began, and it's how we end, which we like, I think, as a structure. Yes. So I'm reading from Flights, I'm reading from Jennifer Croft's translation. Anyone who has ever tried to write a novel knows what an arduous task it is, undoubtedly one of the worst ways of occupying oneself. You have to remain within yourself all the time in solitary confinement. It's a controlled psychosis, an obsessive paranoia manacled to work, completely lacking in the feathers, pens and bustles 
and Venetian masks we would ordinarily associate with it, clothed instead in a butcher's apron and rubber boots, eviscerating knife in hand. You can barely see from that writerly cellar the feet of passerbys, hear the rapping of their heels. Every so often, someone stops and bends down and glances in through the window, and then you get a glimpse of a human face, maybe even exchange a few words. But ultimately, the mind is so occupied with its own act, a play staged by the self, for the self, in a hasty, makeshift cabinet of curiosities, peopled by author and character, narrator and reader, the person describing and the person being described, that feet, shoes, heels and faces become, sooner or later, mere components of that act. I don't regret developing a taste for this odd <coughs> occupation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.